The passage that we're going to be considering together this morning is Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing it in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of our Lord. Thank you. For our whole Christian lives, we've been able to come together every Sunday to worship the Lord together. Many of us took our Lord's Day church services for granted. We gathered as a church Sunday by Sunday with hardly a thought that it could be taken away from us. At least for me, I figured that the only time that this would happen would be when persecution would happen and that would be sometime in the distant future. I never even considered, up until a few weeks ago, that a quarantine would be required because of the threat of a virus. So here we are, or here we aren't, under a COVID-19 quarantine. I so miss being able to gather together as a church, especially on Sundays. This is our second Sunday of not being able to gather together. The refreshment from gathering to worship the Lord together, praying together, singing together, of examining the word together, of fellowshipping together around the Lord's table has been taken from us. Now I think that it's right that we should do this out of obedience to the governing authorities as Romans 13 tells us. I also think it's the right thing for us to do out of love for our neighbor in order to protect them, especially those who are more vulnerable from getting this disease. But this quarantine also means that our entire weekly rhythms have been radically changed. It's harder for Sunday to be the special day that it was set apart to be when the days tend to blur together as we're stuck at home. And this puts an added pressure on us that can easily push us away from Lord's Day observance. Thomas Fuller, describing the observance of the Lord's Day Sabbath during the Puritan era, opined that there was no rest for the Sabbath. 
Well, even without COVID-19, this is even truer today than it was in Fuller's day. In Fuller's day, the topic of the Sabbath was debated and disputed in the public forum. Well, today the Sabbath does not even enter into the minds of people in most churches, let alone into the minds of people in society at large. But this is a very recent development. It was only 1992 when the laws in Canada changed, allowing stores to be open on Sundays. Prior to that, Sunday was regarded as a special day, even in the eyes of the broader culture, but especially in the eyes of professing Christians. However, after 1992, the Sabbath day rest quickly evaporated as Sunday became just another day. So much has changed in such a short time. Yet throughout much of church history, the Lord's Day, Sunday, was set apart as special, as holy as a day for the saints to gather together to worship. Yet many today rely on modern theologians for their understanding, failing to understand or consider church history. We must be careful not to resort to what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Jag Packer describes chronological snobbery as the newer is the truer. Only what is recent is decent. Every shift of ground is a step forward. Every latest word must be hailed as the last word on its subject. But when we rely on modern understandings, especially our own modern understandings, we are so easily blinded by our personal and cultural biases. Yet there's another ditch on the other side of the road that we could easily fall into, and that is of looking to the words of men as authoritative. Yes, we can and should consider how godly men through church history have understood theological ideas, but our reliance must be on the Word of God, sola scriptura. Well, Jesus confronted both problems in Luke 6, verses 1 to 11. He dealt with the Pharisees' chronological snobbery, for their approach to the Sabbath was indeed novel. And Jesus also dealt with their reliance on the words of men to establish theological and moral principles. You see, the Pharisees had relied upon a complex system of case law and that, only, that went far beyond the law as codified in the Word of God. The teaching was primarily oral, and it really developed during the intertestamental period and was written down later around the year 200. And in the, the Pharisaical law, there were 39 rules on the Sabbath alone that went down to minutia and completely missed the true point and purpose of the Sabbath. Well, Jesus' teaching and ministry on the Sabbath would become a flashpoint between him and the Pharisees. In fact, it was Jesus' teaching and ministry on the Sabbath more than anything else that would compel the Pharisees to want to kill him. Well, this morning, in our passage, we're going to see the battle ramping up. But do not be mistaken. There is nothing that Jesus did not do intentionally. He chose to confront the Pharisees and their wrong interpretation of the Sabbath and of the entire law in order to reveal who he was and what he came to do. 
You can see this clearly in Luke 6, 1-11 and throughout Jesus' ministry. You can see this in the Sermon on the Mount that Joshua read for us from, from Matthew 5, verses 17-20, to 20, where Jesus describes the ethic of the kingdom. Let's turn there for a moment, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Verses 17 to 20. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, really the, the central sermon of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So this is the heart of Jesus' message in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the heart of Jesus' message here in Luke 6, 1-11. Jesus has come to fulfill the law and the prophets and to teach others the true nature of the requirements of God's commandments contrary to the teaching of the Pharisees. What God requires is not man-made laws and external obedience. God requires obedience from the heart. Jesus is revealing where the Pharisees got it wrong and how true disciples are to get it right. Jesus is the king. It's his kingdom. And he has the authority to explain what God really requires. As Leon Morris explains, the interesting thing about Jesus' approach is that he did not simply argue that repressive regulations should be relaxed and a more liberal attitude adopted. He said that his opponents had missed the whole point of this holy day. Had they understood it, they would have seen that deeds of mercy were not merely permitted, they were obligatory. That what God requires on his holy day is works of worship, works of necessity, and works of mercy. In other words, Jesus was demonstrating that the Pharisees didn't just get the Sabbath wrong, they got the Sabbath radically wrong. They would have accused Jesus of breaking the fourth commandment, but they were the ones who were breaking the fourth commandment. Along with the sixth commandment, and the first, and the second, and the third. In this passage, we're going to see two main points. We see that works of necessity are necessitated on the Sabbath, verses 1 to 5. And that works of mercy are also necessitated on the Sabbath in verses 6 to 11. In the first half of this passage, Jesus claims authority over the Sabbath, and in the second, he demonstrates that authority. The Pharisees' reaction reveals their rejection of Jesus and his authority. In the other synoptic gospels, in Matthew chapter 12, 1 to 14, and Mark 2, 23 to 36, describe the same incidents very, very closely to what we see here in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. 
So in this passage, we'll see that Jesus did not abolish the fourth commandment or the obligation to keep the Sabbath day holy. He confronted the Pharisees' false, false and faulty understanding of the Sabbath and demonstrated his authority over it. So first of all, in verses 1 to 5, that works of necessity are necessary on the Sabbath. Luke 6 begins, On the Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some, some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Now Old Testament law made provision for walking through a neighbor's grain field and taking and eating some of the grain. Deuteronomy 23, 25. But enter the Pharisees. So the problem begins. They had a problem with what the disciples were doing, but in their minds, the problem wasn't the what, but the when. They took issue with the fact that this took place on the Sabbath. Now, the fourth commandment does say that in six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, Exodus 29 and 10. And Exodus 34, 21 applies the commandment to harvesting. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. But the Pharisees viewed what the disciples were doing here as engaging in a harvest. And that's not all. They, they would have seen this, this action as, as reaping and threshing and winnowing and preparing food. So according to the Pharisees' understanding of the Sabbath, Jesus' disciples broke the Sabbath four ways in one bite. Those 40 Sabbath rules less one were like 40 lashes less one. Each one robbing the Sabbath of what it was intended to be. Each used to harm instead of to help. Furthermore, the Pharisees must have been watching very intently, waiting for Jesus and his disciples to do something that would give them legal grounds against him. Pictures of, of wherever Jesus was going. The Pharisees were there. Remember in Luke chapter 5, they did come en masse from all over Israel to examine him, to challenge him, to see whether he measured up to their standards. This is continuing here in Luke chapter 6. So in verses 3 and 4, Jesus answers their question with a question. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Now that incident takes place in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6, where David was fleeing from Saul. Let's look there for a moment. So 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 to 6. So at the end of, verse, of chapter 20, this is when, when David and, and Jonathan meet for the last time. And where Jonathan had, had fired the arrow and, and said, if the, if the, if the arrow goes, goes beyond, then you need to flee. Because my father means to kill you. And so after their final meeting, that the friends separate and David and his, and his men flee in chapter 21. And so David comes to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech comes to David trembling and, and asks David why he's alone. 
And David tells him that he's on a secret mission for the king. Now notice that David is actually lying here. But that's an issue for another day. He asked Ahimelech what was there to eat. And Ahimelech answered that he only had the holy bread, the showbread, the bread of the presence that was supposed to always be on the table in the tabernacle and was to be served as a memorial food offering to the Lord. Now this bread was only to be eaten by the priests and it was to be replaced every Sabbath. And Ahimelech said to David that the men could have the bread provided that they had kept themselves ceremonially clean. David affirmed that they were, so Ahimelech gave him the bread. Now this was technically a breach of the ceremonial law, since only the priests were allowed to eat this bread, Leviticus 24.9. And so if the Pharisees are right, then David is guilty for eating the bread. And Ahimelech is guilty too for allowing David and his men to eat. And it's interesting that in rabbinic tradition, this took place on the Sabbath. So it, it heightens the applicability of the illustration if that's the case. We can't know when exactly it took place, but Jesus' point here is clear. The physical need of David's men took precedence over the ceremonial law. Furthermore, the fact that Jesus mentions David and those who are with him highlights a parallel with his own disciples. The implication is that if David and his followers could eat that bread, how much more could Jesus' disciples eat this? If David could break the ceremonial law to feed his men, then surely Jesus could allow his disciples to break a man-made law about the Sabbath. Now, of course the Pharisees knew that story. However, they completely misunderstood and misapplied the Sabbath law. Undertaking works of necessity are part of what it means to keep the Sabbath. Zacharias Ursinus, the, one of the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, helpfully defines for us works of necessity as works which carry out, this, carry out the true intention of the Sabbath and so establish it as all those works which so pertain to the worship of God or religious ceremonies or to the duty of love towards neighbor or to saving one's own or the life of another as that necessity will not allow them to be deferred to another time. Do not violate the Sabbath, but are especially required in order that we may properly observe the Sabbath. So then works of necessity involve those that promote the sanctity of the Sabbath and love to God and neighbor. Matthew includes another example in his narration of this event. In Matthew 12 verses 5 and 6. Where Jesus says to the disciple, to the Pharisees, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. The same is true for pastors. Normally Sunday is the busiest day of the week for me. But I'm not breaking the Sabbath because it's necessary for me to minister on Sunday. And the same is true for, for doctors and nurses and, and, and now it, in these, these times especially that the, these are works of necessity when they are, people don't stop getting sick on Sunday. And so doctors and nurses are, are not breaking the Sabbath when they 
work in a hospital on a Sunday. Likewise, police and, and firemen, they, they also do not break the Sabbath. These are our works of necessity. Jesus continues in verse 7. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So, so Matthew is here showing what Jesus is saying, that the Sabbath is meant to be a blessing, not a curse, a privilege, not a privation. And Mark also gives us a very helpful statement from Jesus about this issue in his narrative. Mark 2.27 The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, there are those who say that the Sabbath law is not included in the New Testament. I don't know how they can possibly say that when it looks, when you see verses like this, let alone the fact that so much of Jesus' ministry is about a right understanding of the Sabbath as a demonstration of who he is. Beloved, God gave the Sabbath to us as a gift. When God established the Sabbath in the garden on the seventh day, he did not need to rest. He rested as an example for us. He sanctified the day for us. And he laid it down as a day that is to be set aside for worship. In fact, the the, the Sabbath law even allows it that animals were to be given an opportunity to rest on the seventh day. And so God is giving us a gift and giving us an opportunity to rest. But because this is a law that is made for men, not not man for this law, the law must give way to human need. Because the law was made for human need. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. Jesus came to fully obey its requirements. Nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus do anything to undermine the Sabbath. Rather, he he girds up the Sabbath and clears away the debris of the Pharisees' faulty understanding. And all three synoptic Gospels include a statement that reveals what the ultimate issue is between Jesus and the Pharisees. Luke 6, 5. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, although Jesus doesn't say here explicitly that Son of Man means that he is the Messiah, throughout the Gospels the implication is clear. That he, as the Messiah, has authority and here has authority over the Sabbath. Jesus is revealing his authority. Listen to J.C. Ryle. The words Lord of the Sabbath were not meant to imply that our Lord, by virtue of his divine authority, would alter, abrogate, or water down the law of the fourth commandment. They mean that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath to deliver it from Jewish traditions, to protect it from superstitious views of its observance, and to show the true spirit and manner in which it is always intended to be kept. So you see what Ryle is saying here. It is the authority of Jesus that is at issue here. 
Jesus is the one who established the Sabbath by his own example on the seventh day of creation. Genesis 2-3. Jesus is the Lord who reminded the people of the Sabbath and inscribed it on tablets of stone with his own finger along with the rest of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 19, sorry, Exodus 31-18. Jesus is the Lord who says that he will put his law within them and he will write it on their hearts of his people in the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33. Jesus is the Lord provides the future rest that the Sabbath points to. Hebrews 4, 8 to 11. So Jesus' authority is the issue. And then Jesus continues to reveal the answer to the question of his authority in, in verses 6 to 11 of our passage. We won't have to wait very long to see what the Pharisees make of this and what the Pharisees make of Jesus. So works of mercy are also necessary on the Sabbath. Verses 6 to 11. Now, as Leon Morris says, Jesus demonstrates his lordship over the day and over disease. Jesus is confirming his authority. Now, Luke is not precise about the day. He simply says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. But notice again that Jesus is teaching. And notice again that Jesus is going to heal. These two things that often went together. And the healing often put an exclamation mark on his teaching. There is a man present whose hand is withered. His hand had some form of, of muscular degeneration. Luke specifically mentions that it was the man's right hand. So his livelihood was almost certainly affected by his disability. Once again, the Pharisees are present, watching. Luke uses a term here that, that means to watch carefully or to spy. They were lying in wait. As the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says, so of the white-tailed eagle which chases the bird. They were looking for a reason to accuse him. They were looking for Jesus to do something that from their perspective was wrong. They wanted to catch him in the act of healing on the Sabbath. They weren't interested in whether Jesus could heal or not. They were watching Jesus. But their watching revealed their rebellious hearts. Jesus had already healed on the Sabbath, had he? In Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 39, Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law on the Sabbath. But that was more of a, of a private incident. Since then, word had, had gotten back to the Pharisees uh, about what Jesus was doing. So once again, like in chapter 5, verse 22, when Jesus healed the paralytic and pronounced him forgiven, Jesus knew the Pharisees' thoughts. Again, he's fulfilling Simeon's prophecy from Luke 2, 35, that because of Jesus, the thoughts of many may be revealed. But Jesus didn't just know their thoughts about his actions on the Sabbath. Jesus knew their thoughts toward him. And so Jesus says to the man, come and stand here. And Jesus gives the man center stage. The man is going to provide an object lesson for revealing God's will. What Jesus is about to do will, will make it obvious to all. 
Unlike the so-called healings in the new apostolic reformation circles today where, where someone's leg is said to be a little bit shorter than, than the other one and is, is somehow supposedly healed. I wonder what are these so-called healers doing in the face of COVID-19? Why are their so-called healing rooms being closed if they actually have power to heal? But there will be no doubt in anyone's mind that this was a real malady. And this man was going to be really healed. Before he does so, Jesus turns to the Pharisees and says to them directly, I ask you, is it lawful to do lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? It's a vital question. Is it appropriate to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? For Jesus, there is no middle ground. But he's giving the Pharisees an opportunity to answer. But these supposed lords of the Sabbath are silent before the true Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees were already doing evil on the Sabbath, but in self-righteously misjudging Jesus and his actions, and they're about to do a whole lot more evil. The Pharisees allowed that someone could in fact be healed in case of a, a life or death emergency, but they felt that this wasn't an emergency, that this could have waited. We'll see this kind of attitude in Luke 13, 14, where the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. But for Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, why let someone continue to suffer for another day when he could be healed now? So Jesus has mercy on the man. But the Pharisees failed to recognize this. That to show mercy, their failure to show mercy reinforced the fact that they didn't understand the fourth commandment. It reinforced the fact that they were the ones who were breaking the fourth commandment. It revealed the fact that they were also guilty of breaking the sixth commandment, which you remember is, you shall not murder, Exodus 20.13. Remember that there's a positive and a negative aspect to each of the commandments. Well, the positive duty implied in the sixth commandment is that you should do all the good you can to yourself and others by God's grace. So the Pharisees' unwillingness to help someone meant that they were actually guilty of breaking the Sixth Commandment. If my neighbor asks me for help to do something on a Sunday, I'm not going to turn him away and say, I'm sorry, this is the Sabbath. I'm to, going to go and out of love for my neighbor, I'm going to seek the opportunity to do good to them. Because I love them and I want to reflect Christ to them. This is the law of love. But the Pharisees had completely missed the point of the Sabbath. It was a time for worship, a time for works of necessity, a time for works of mercy. In the 1689 London Baptist Confession, we read that the Sabbath is kept holy to the Lord when people have first prepared their hearts appropriately and arranged their everyday affairs in advance. Then they observe a holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts, and their secular employment and recreation. 
But not only that, they also fill the whole time in public and private acts of worship and duties of necessity and mercy. So obedience to the Sabbath is, is not just sitting in a room by yourself all day. It's coming together with the people of God and worshiping God together. And seeking opportunities to love and to serve your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And to love and serve your neighbor. To love your neighbor as yourself. So now comes the object lesson in verse 10. Looking around at the mall. He said, stretch out your hand. In Mark 5. He includes these details that Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus was angry. Jesus was righteously angry at these men and their failure to love this man and their failure to love God. And Jesus said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. At Jesus' command, the man was able to do what he could previously not do. Jesus gave the command and enabled the man to obey the command. It's like what Augustine says, give what you command and then command whatever you will. So at the command of Jesus, this man with the withered hand was unable to stretch out his hand, stretched out his hand. At the word of Jesus, he was healed. And this healing was evidence of the fact that not only was Jesus approved by God, but his actions on the Sabbath were approved by God as well. But the Pharisees, however, reveal that they do not have the approval of of God. Now this healing really didn't require much work on the part of Jesus. He simply said the word and the man was healed. Jesus is demonstrating that he has authority not just over the man's physical ability but also over the Sabbath. That Jesus is revealing that he is indeed the Lord of the Sabbath. But Jesus wasn't breaking the fourth commandment by healing this man. Jesus was keeping the fourth commandment by healing this man. In this act of mercy, Jesus was loving this man and showing not just this man, but these guilty Pharisees of what the Sabbath was really all about. Jesus did not flout the law. In any way or shape or form, Jesus showed how the law was meant to be applied all along. It is the Pharisees who got it wrong. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he is also the Lord of the proper interpretation of Sabbath law and the whole law. But in verse 11, we see the response of the Pharisees. They were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They put their exclamation mark on the fracture of the commandment with a response. They were willing to, to plot evil towards Jesus on the Sabbath while they were critical of him of doing good on the Sabbath. So they were saying that it's lawful to, indeed to do evil while they criticized Jesus for doing good. 
The word that is translated here, fury, means senseless rage. They were losing their minds in anger. Matthew 12, 14 gives a little more detail. It says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And Mark is even more explicit in Mark 3, 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So here we see this, this first uh, um, loyalty, this, this first coming together of, of the Pharisees with the wicked Herodians. And a plot to destroy Jesus. A plot that will come to fruition. When they hand Jesus over to the Herodians, over to Herod, to destroy him. So not only were the Pharisees breaking the fourth commandment, but they're also breaking the sixth commandment. And they're also breaking the first and the second and the third. They're worshiping false gods. They're worshiping the true God in a false way. And they were blaspheming the name of the true God. And this would continue all the way through Jesus' ministry. But at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he would demonstrate that he is the Lord of the Sabbath in another way. And if what he did so far would cause the Pharisees to lose their minds in anger, what he would do later would give them seizures. When they finally fulfill their plot and hand Jesus over to the Romans to crucify him, once again, Jesus would have the last word. Jesus would change the day. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, the Sabbath has become no longer the seventh day, but now the first day of the week. Because of the resurrection of Jesus on the first day of the week, the first day of the week is now the Lord's Day. And so we as a church gather together to celebrate the Lord's resurrection on the first day of the week. Through Jesus, death, and his resurrection, we see that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. But we also see that he is the Lord of the Sabbath through his return. When Jesus delivers the promised rest that the Sabbath points to, that we read about in Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus remains the Lord of the Sabbath. So in the first half of our passage this morning, Jesus claimed authority over the Sabbath. In the second half, he demonstrated that authority. But the Pharisees' rejection of him reveals the rejection of his authority. And through the Gospels, we'll see this repeatedly, that these, this issue of the Sabbath and the way that Jesus heals on the Sabbath brings conflict with the Pharisees because they had this, this external, this drudgery idea of the Sabbath, that it was a day to, to think about what you can't do. But beloved, the Sabbath is not a drudgery. The Sabbath is not about what you can't do. The Sabbath is, what, is about what you can do, about what you are freed to do. Because the Lord Jesus has made the Sabbath for us, not us for the Sabbath. 
And right now, as we are not able to do on the Sabbath what we have been free to do for so long because of the COVID-19 quarantine, we're not able to do on the Sabbath what, what I know you and I long to do, to gather together with the saints, to worship God together, to celebrate Christ, to worship Christ together, to gather around the Lord's table together. We can't do this right now. But what can we do? What can we do to follow Jesus in acts of worship, and acts of necessity, and acts of mercy on the Lord's Day Sabbath? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you that because of your life, your death, your resurrection, and the anticipation of your return. Lord Jesus, you are our Lord. Lord, help us to bow the knee to you in worship and obedience. Lord, help us not to consider the words of man as authoritative. Lord, help us not to consider our own opinions as authoritative. But help us, Lord, to submit to your word. Help us, Lord Jesus, to submit to you and all that you command. By your grace and for your glory, we ask this in your holy name. Amen.